Hello and welcome to We're Watching What? Or in the case of today, we're interviewing who? I'm your host, Dana, or the DHK as I'm known. And today I am joined by Kirk D'Amico. He is the director and co-writer of the new animated film Vivo, which is available on Netflix and is from Sony Pictures Animation. Vivo is a musical and the character of Vivo is voiced by Lin-Manuel Miranda. He also did the music. It's co-written by Chiara Alegria Hudes, who did In the Heights. And the film's composer is Alex Lacamoire from Hamilton. So you've got a musical power team working together on this film. And then, of course, directed by Kirk, who I spoke to. We do discuss one mild plot spoiler so it's very helpful if you have seen the film and without further ado here's we're interviewing who well congrats on the film i'm just gonna dive right in sure okay uh this is tangentially related and hopefully you'll understand why what was your first concert oh um my first concert was the police my first concert was sting (laughs) wow really yeah it was sting and annie lennox post police oh wow very cool what are you big are you big police fan still Oh yeah, yeah, totally, yeah. But Sting too, so yeah, I would, uh, would extend. But yeah, police, yep, that was it. I was just talking about this the other day with a friend, and it was we were going through setlist.fm, right? And uh, ah. I, we were just doing a scan of all the shows. We were just going missing shows. So yes, well, hopefully one can return to those soon. <laughs> but uh, about Vivo, logistically or emotionally, what do you think the most challenging scene was to get right? Oh, logistically, logistically or emotionally, you said. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Um, I would say emotionally, you know, probably the hardest seat, what, what, what was a very difficult seat and, you know, it, it Lynn, you know, became Lynn's, uh, Lynn's job really was the scene that comes directly after the passing of Andres <clears throat> when Vivo is all alone and he's got to figure out what to do next, because that is a moment where, you know, he's feeling the grief of a 20 year plus relationship with a man he loved that, uh, gave him everything and that's all he's ever known is no longer in the world and he doesn't know what to do and finding that song remembering the song and seeing what it means and understanding that this is his mission at least for today at least for this week and at least in honor of his past friend's uh, life that he's going to do this was probably the hardest because in dialogue you know that's a scene that really musicals have magic you know that they can do that that we can peer in like a novel inside of Oh, all the emotions that Lynn brings to it, both lyrically and singing and the performance, right? Uh, the rawness of that feeling. Um, and also we have, you know, kids in the audience. We know that he knows that. And you want to play it in such a way that you can't keep them in that, can't keep them in that zone for a lot longer. You know, we have to make a turn. We have to start, you know, getting the the movie in a in a more positive spin. So you know, that really was a scene that uh, we struggled with many times. And when he started working on that song, I think that the crescendo through there where, you know, coming from such a raw, beautiful place to where he is about to take on the world and then go, oh, shit, what, what am I going to do? Like, how am I going to do this? You know what I mean? Like, it's like, yeah. now, now, now what? Like, because that's always like the my yeah i just think that that is the most relatable thing is that in any sort of track you know any sort of a uh, uh, difficult situation it's like I'm, i know what i'm gonna do and they're like what well, who am i kidding like where you know like how am i gonna do it yeah just a you know just mild crisis that we face every day <laughs> people well it's, that's actually a really great segue into so animation can be a very powerful and i would say in the wrong hand sometimes overpowering <laughs> medium you know people people love to uh stretch and squash you know exa- exaggeration core principle um music is also just this like hugely powerful medium so how do you strike the balance of when to let this like the lyrics and the sort of songs lead and, and when like the visuals actually need to take like center stage right that's great you know we were very lucky because lynn was so involved as both singer songwriter and 
actor, lead actor. And he, this was an idea that was hit, part, you know, his, probably his since 2009. And he knew it as intimately as any of us. And working with Kiara Hudes and Alex Lacamoire, you know, his collaborators in the Heights and with our visual team, uh, we were, it shaped over years. I mean, it wasn't like the plan was laid out. We didn't like, like in perfect example and keep the beat, which was a song that was, you know, was released recently. It was like the idea of what it was is that drumming sequence that Lynn had performed as an actor had existed. There was a lot of dialogue as they entered the Everglades and there was dialogue on the other side before they hit the storm. And it was a part last May where we were, where Lynn really came to it after watching the whole thing. And he's like, listen, I think we're great. We're in great shape, but if we could maybe have one more tentpole song in that second act, architecturally, it will help the whole musical feel. And so I was like, where do you want to look? Like, let's take any scene you want. I'm like, here, here, we're here. I got a scene, I got a scene. Like, handing them out. You need boards, you need boards, you got the boards. Like, <laughs> yeah, who's got, who's got them? So, but, you know, and so we were like, well, maybe the girls get, but then we landed on that one um, as they're entering into the Everglades and at that first um, spark of friendship between Gabby and Vivo, um, where Vivo is a sort of going from student to mentor, if you will. But, um, and he was able to musicalize that. So that one in particular was mostly just a visual comedy bit. And then it became musicalized. And the great thing was, is that, you know, he's such an expert on uh, compressing information, but editing, and which was a lesson for all of us, I think, as writers and storyboard artists and directors was, you know, the, of how to edit those scenes and just taking, just crystallizing it, just boiling it down. You're like, oh, you're right. Those are the only five good lines. The rest of them were not great. They were just set up lines for those five lines. So much better to have singing into those five, you know, pivotal lines for their relationship rather than uh, more talking. So that was one. And then the other one was when after the death of Andres, where Vivo is chasing the song for the first, you know, chasing the song through Havana. And that was always going to be just score, just let the score play in a moment to extend time, you know, to really let the time breathe. So we felt what he was going through. Um, so those, that was one where one was more of a lyrical challenge and one was more of a composing challenge for Alex. We're going to take a quick break and be right back. And we're back. What is it like to step in and collaborate with these people who probably already have, you know, like shorthands and dialogue, you know, they've been working together for God knows how long. And then you're entering the picture and you're just like, hello, like, is it like schoolyard level? Like be my friend, eat at the lunch table with me. Or like, and I'm sure, you know, production in the way that we have had to do production recently has complicated, but what runs through your brain when that happens? That's good. I like the schoolyard. Now you put it in, maybe it is just the, the table one might be the right best metaphor. I think that, <laughs> that might've been our, my approach. Now I'll have to be self-conscious about it. But um, yeah, no, you know, the thing was, is that I was so lucky because Kiara was new to the project as well. And, and Alex was as well. He had not um, been involved in the early writing part of it. So, so when we came together and started talking about it, and then with all the folks at Sony Animation, the great part of having Lynn's songs um, as a tool really for us in creatively thinking about it and envisioning what it could be was unlike anything I've seen before was like when you would give it to an artist, it was a storyboard artist and they would put their headphones on and sit with it. They would hit the, they would come close to hitting the mark and no one would be like, I don't really know what this is about. Whereas if it's just screenwriting pages or stuff that people are reading, sometimes it's like, it takes a little bit of time to find the tone and the and the feeling. And I think that we all knew from his music and the, like I say, that core idea that this was a movie that was going to explore grief and it was going to talk about generations. 
And it was going to be something that I just wanted to give it the love that it needed and give it that cinematic sweep that I thought it deserved. And so working with Roger Deakins and bringing in people like Carlos Zaragoza and bringing the art to it, you know, that we could, because I already heard it in my head, listening to the to some of the songs, I knew where it could go. I was reading that. I was like, Roger Deakins, like, what's that conversation like? <laughs> just being like, what's up, Roger? What's up, Roger? Yeah, he, well, Roger is an amazingly uh, kind and gift, I mean, obviously gifted, but the one thing that I love working with Roger is that, you know, we work with 300, 400 artists at Sony Animation. They're all amazing, right? They're all like, nobody, everybody's talented there. And so, but he would sit and work with, you know, artists. And I saw that his, his rapport with the artist, the individual artist, they wanted to raise their game. They wanted to learn something they want, you know, so he spent a lot of time with them. And I think that that it's, 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 it's like they would get a new, when they would get a new song, it's like, you got to keep the momentum up and the energy up over four or five years of production. Um, and so, so there's things that, you know, being, having someone like Roger, I think it's just, you know, and I think that's one thing it feels on it. You, you feel it in the film that, people poured their hearts into this. And during the pandemic, they were in their own homes, they were working from home and people were working at, you know, would show up and work in the middle of the night, you would see and stuff, because they really, they were inspired by, you know, people like Rogers and Lynn's, you know, devotion and, and then that they kept on coming, stepping up and Lynn would keep coming up with new songs. And, and so I think that that, that, that's, that was the exciting part of that. Uh, so as a leader who, you know, is not only in its project for four or five years, but, you know, the facing the things with like, what, how do you approach those situations? Like, is it, is it a Vivo-esque, like, we're just going to figure out a plan as we go along, but like, can you communicate that to your team? Like, how is that experience for you? (laughs) That's a good question. You know, I, I, it's, I think that, I mean, I said, it's interesting because like, I feel in some ways, you know, you have your vision, you have your plan, like you're saying, like Vivo, you think the way it's going to go, but you know, it's never going to, but like, you know, I got to work with Rich Moore and Jim Reardon on this. These guys are like such great pros and they came in and helped. And like, I don't, some people like use that metaphor, like quarterback. I'm like, I don't really quarterback. It's like, like, if I'm going to use a sports one, it's like a baseball manager. I'm like, if there's great people in the bullpen, bring them in. Like, it's like, whoever it is, you don't have to be like, the, it's like we would get great ideas from anywhere, like our entire crew, you know, and that's one thing I do like about writing and being able to direct is that my computer could be open that if someone, no matter who, what assistant, doesn't matter where you are, if there's an image or an art director comes up with a dialogue or a, di- or a person supposed to go up with dialogue comes up with an image, we all just put it in the, the picture and then we just watch it together in editorial and things work and they don't work, you know, and we're open to taking them in and, 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 and throwing them out, so. All right, so which character do you admire the most and why? You know, I I have a great fondness for Andres. I really do. I mean, I just, Juan was such an amazing find uh, that our casting director brought to the table. And I was blown away when she's like, when I'm like, it would be great if it was a musician and it was somebody different. And and she's like, well, there's a guy. I'm like, that's a real, that's a musician. That's a, you know, and and he was so joyful from the minute we met him. When he described his, his journey, of being like, oh, I'm like young Vivo. I brought the old men from Cuba to America to play music. Like he was so great that, you know, I think his person grew on me, but also that character because, you know, I think I'm in the place of being a dad now. So it's like, I want to be that kind of, you know, I would love to be able to pat, you want to pass something on, but, you know, and also just be, you know, the, the care that he has um, is something that he communicates through his voice and his singing. I mean, all of Juan's work and stuff. So. I think uh, 
in particular, I think it's that for me, uh, the Andres character is, is a special one. I think he's a special, a very special character. All right, this is going to get a little left field now. If you had to describe yourself as a cookie. Oh, cookie. What type of cookie would it be? One that perhaps young girls would be selling at a, you know, <laughs> market, but. Yeah, yeah as the, uh, uh, the uh, manatee, when it, does it have to be in the eco theme? Of it does the... not have to be in the eco theme. Oh, the Girl Scout cookie. <laughs> okay, that's a good question. I probably would go with, um, yeah, I would, I mean, I'm going to, I've really just been on that. I've been on a, I've been, honestly, I've been on an Oreo kick because my kids love Oreos and it's honest. <laughs> I have been so happy. There's so much things about having kids that I've enjoyed. One thing is being able to eat like a bunch of leftover hamburgers <laughs> and a bunch of French fries. And because it's I'm like, I can't let it go to waste. No, you can't. Like, yeah. right? And so Oreos have been like, because I hadn't eaten Oreos. So I think refining Oreos. So, but yeah, Oreos <laughs> and Oreos in any shape, form, dipped, even the gourmet fancy ones, anything to do with Oreo cookies. But so. why would you describe yourself as an Oreo cookie? <laughs> why would I? I have no fucking. Oh. <laughs> it's fine. You can throw it in mine. I don't care. <laughs> I have no idea. I was just thinking Oreos. You kind of threw me. I don't know what a cookie. Why? Because maybe because it's like I'm a. Maybe because it's like kind of. I don't know. I just I I just think like it's not too fancy. But know. it has variety. It has depth. It can no, collaborate it's, with it's other just, flavors. I, I'm trying to. I'm trying to like. <laughs> you fill it in for me. I have no idea. I I just think it's like I don't know. I think I've, I'm finding a lot of comfort in childhood like. My friend in English is like nursery school food, right? That's what it's called. Like it's like comfort food, you know. Mm-hmm. And England's like nursery food here. It's comfort food. I'm finding some. I'm trying to like just the you're simple, rediscovering like rediscovering simple kids. I just you know what I mean. Like yeah. I, I'm trying to live through that view right now. That's my my thing is like yeah, I'm all for the simple. Okay. Simplifying. I mean, and also who doesn't love Oreos? Only monsters. <laughs> Only monsters. Yeah, you're right. I have no idea. <laughs> this interview brought to you by, no. Um, <laughs> okay. This is a deeper question. You don't have to answer it if okay. you don't want to, but is there a big regret or missed opportunity in your life that you wish you could make up or rectify? Oh, oh man. You go from uh, the, wow. I swing back. Yeah. It's just, I That's... told you left field. <laughs> I was, there's left field. Um, you know what it is? You know, it's an interesting thing. I really feel like I probably do spend too much time in the regret mode. You know, like I honestly, like I feel like there's a little bit of, I think maybe I'll be too therapeutic about it, but like it's a lead that that's time traveling to the past kind of idea, which is like, I, I probably, you know, as a writer, I think what I do is I spend a little too much time play acting in my head. I mean, honestly, like bad meetings. Like right now I'm going to regret the Oreo comment for like four weeks. I'm going to be rewriting this scene for four weeks. If you want to send pages after, I can edit. But yeah, no, no, no. It's an interesting thing. Like nothing that that, that is a, that is extreme. But I do think that it's a certain part of regret, and I think that that's a little bit of the story of Vivo is to take chances and not have the regrets. Because when you don't take chances, you do have regrets, right? I mean, so that that I think is the hardest part. And I think that was the thing that Vivo's story of taking this for his best friend and getting closure for him and Marta. Um, so, because they were living with a regret. regret. And, you know, I think that's the, the, the hardest thing about the, the journey of Vivo, you know, emotionally for him is having, finding that strength. So perhaps I will, I will have to listen to absolve myself of all my regret for my terrible answers. I appreciate, I think that answer makes up for, also Oreo is a great answer. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I do think that is actually one of the most admirable things about the characters is like 
their willingness to be like, I'm I'm going to try and rectify these regrets. Like I'm not gonna sit and even if they aren't able to do it themselves, you know, the uh, the ex- mentally committing to it, I think was the thing I connected to. And I was like, oh yeah, I should probably do that more in my life. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. This is again, this is right field now. Okay, here we go. What was the conversation like when you told folks in your life that you were going to go into making animated films? Has your poli sci and econ degree come in? Oh, handy? yeah. That's a good question. Uh, I don't know. To ask my dad. Um, no, so yeah, that, that was a very, that was, um, I always wanted to make movies. That's why I went from New Jersey all the way to USC. But I, you know, my junior year, I went away to England and they didn't have any film classes. So I became a poli-sci econ. Those are the two things I like also. Like if I, if I'm going to read three sections of the newspaper, that's where it's going to be. It's arts. That's what I do. So it was, it was a natural thing, but the, um, the thing about animation was, is I always loved it as a kid, you know, obviously. And then I grew up in those years where the animation, especially in the eight, you know, in the eighties were, you know, growing and, and really doing amazing things. And um, when I first got, I was uh, writing in live action as a screenwriter. And I remember when they said, Hey, there's this animated movie and you're, you're going to go work on it. I'm like, I don't know how to draw. Like, what do you, like, I, I only thought like, cause I still was in the, from what I knew, which was storyboard artists did all the storytelling. So I was like, I don't do that, but like, oh, well, it's it. So, and when I fell into it, the thing that really changed for me was really working with storyboard artists and the fact that it is so collaborative, you know, like I, I like film writing, but it was, it's a very uh, solitary job. So I admire anyone then like, um, but like the uh, animation is so collaborative and it is that it is an art form where you have all these great people who are at the top of their game, tip of the spirit, all their disciplines, and it all comes together at, at, at a moment when you start bringing in all of the different pieces into editorial, you know, and we had a great editor in Erica. And so the thing that I, I can't really explain it except for the fact that that part of the, the journey is what excites me the most, you know, it's like, I love the happy accidents and I love the, the random, like, you know, I mean, look, it's like, you know, you, it's creativity. So, and just that great ideas come from anywhere. And the thing is, is that because while it's a little bit tedious because it takes so long, because it takes so long, you can fold in all those ideas. And sometimes they don't last. I mean, it might be a great idea, but it falls off along the way. But the ones that you keep, you you know, hope, you're hoping that they're, they're the ones that are going to resonate most with the audience. So I would... Yeah, so it paid off. <laughs> All right, I'm going to let you pick between two types of questions for your last question. Do you want a, a more left field curveball one or do you want an easy one? <laughs> I think I'm better off with the easy ones. Okay. How is easy? What is the, this is a, a good bookend. What okay, is okay. the first film that you saw, you remember seeing in theaters that you were the driving force behind being like, I want to go see that movie? Oh, the, the first movie, you know? Because it wouldn't be Star Wars because that was like my dad and stuff. So that I wasn't the driving force. I didn't really have, yeah, I loved it. That was my first like movie experience where I was like, oh my gosh, I want to see this. Driving force, but that I was probably the one, well, still, I would say maybe been, are we in the right year? Would, I, would, would Rocky have been the right one? Can I look? Yeah, sure. Can I look? Can I look? Can I look? At I'll tell you if 70s, I was. Then I'm like, uh, 76. Okay. Yes, I was. <laughs> Yeah, because that's seven years old. Yeah, I think, yeah, I wanted to, yeah, that was, I think it's right. Yeah. Okay. And do you remember why? I have, I have no idea. I have no idea. I don't know what it was. Well, I the think answer is because was, was Rocky fun. is the greatest of all time. He is. I, know, <laughs> I, know, I mean, I know that it was friends in this, in this story and it was, yeah, I remember that was a, that was a big one. There was only like, you know, one movie, you know, that kind of thing, but that was a, 
I think it was probably just, yeah, friends and wouldn't know what it was to be even have television back then. I can't remember, but yeah. It, it had been invented, yes. So, no, all right. Well, I very much appreciate you rolling with my punches, uh, to use a Rocky metaphor and with my metaphors. Thank you so much. Congratulations on the film. Thank you. All right, cool. Thank you so much to Kirk for joining. Vivo is streaming now on Netflix. Vivo is out streaming now on Netflix. And if you enjoyed this episode, we would love it if you could leave us a rating or a review or even consider subscribing.